Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. Uh, You know, our United States of America would be better termed our divided states of America, it seems, this day because of the number of opinions about so many things that are seeking to just undo us and, and cause us to stand against one another. There's a discussion of race relations and athletes and brand names and masks and social distancing and President Trump and Joe Biden and the green agenda, the economy, China, taxes, social injustice, police defunding, Congress, the Supreme Court, hand sanitizers, Kanye West, and whatever else you want to throw in the mix. And while many of those subjects do call for a thoughtful, serious discussion, I think we all would agree on one thing, that chances are we'll never totally agree on one thing. You know, Plainfield Christian Church has existed for 191 years. 1821, 1829 was the date that people came together. Imagine all that this church body through the, through the generations, has been exposed to societally in those, in those decades. For instance, there was a cholera outbreak in 1832 that took an estimated 5 to 10% of the population of small Midwestern towns, including the, those in Indiana. There was an economic panic of 1837 that lasted till the mid-40s when wages went down and unemployment went up. Banks collapsed. Businesses failed. Thousands lost their jobs. And there were other economic crises that came in that gen- in the- since that time. In 1857 came the Dred Scott decision, which forbade any black person from ever being a citizen of the United States. And this certainly added to the growing tensions that led to the Civil War of the 1860s and the assassination of President Lincoln. Then came the financial crisis that hit uh, 1873, another one in 93, when two major railroads collapsed. President Teddy Kennedy Roosevelt in 1902 made a political move when he took the five boroughs of New York and put them together to form New York City. He did that because he didn't want the influence of the immigrants who lived on Manhattan. Imagine the discussions about that in that day. In the 1910s came, of course, World War I. In 1918 came the Spanish flu that claimed some 50 million lives worldwide, 670,000 of them in the United States. In the 1920s, women gained the right to vote. And did you know in that same decade, Wall Street was bombed, 38 people died, and hundreds were wounded. In the 1930s, of course, came the Great Depression. In the 1940s was World War II. In the 1950s was the Korean War and the Suez Canal crisis. Then there was the upheaval of the 1960s. We heard the call of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech and his his assassination a few years later. We have the the President Kennedy's assassination and the Vietnam War. In the 1970s, we had President Nixon and the Watergate scandal and abortion is legalized. In the 1980s, We saw the stronghold of conservatism and the identity of the AIDS epidemic. In the 1990s, remember, we saw uh, AOL 
and the fear of Y2K and OJ fleeing the authorities. In the 2000s, of course, that brought 9-11 terrorist attacks and all, uh, all the change in the world because of that. And in this present decade that we're closing this year, we've seen the first black president, the first reality TV president, and now this decade ending with this pandemic and all that it entails. Now, I'm saying all this because I wonder throughout all of these things that have gone on decade after decade after decade, it makes me wonder what pitch-in dinner discussions were like when Plainfield Christian Church came together. I wonder who was obnoxious in their opinions. I wonder, I wonder who walked out of the room. I wonder if there were friendships that were fractured because of different ideas and insights and opinions. I wonder what preachers got charged with, with being too opinionated about these things and which were charged with not really speaking into them. I say all this because despite whatever opinions people have about anything church-related or culture-related, the church still stands. And not, and not just this church. But God's global church, the church, the church universal. And I think there are two reasons for that. One of the reasons is that it's the purpose that holds us together. We have a, a purpose that is far greater than any cultural, societal threat that is going on around us. God, the Satan loves to take whatever is happening in culture to somehow drive a wedge in God's, among God's people. And we can't let that happen, of course. We live, we breathe, we are all about the cause of Jesus Christ. For we know he's coming back. And our job is to prepare for his coming and prepare other people for his coming. But there's a second reason that I think the church still exists and is thriving today in the world. And that's because of Jesus' own prayer for the church. Right before he went to the cross, in John 17, verse 20, he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, them meaning the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's you and me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. We're calling this month's series a clearer vision of dangerous prayer. Now that might seem like an odd theme title to you. What do we mean dangerous prayer? We mean risky prayer. We mean challenging prayer. We mean a demanding prayer, a courageous prayer, a wild prayer, a life-altering prayer. That's what we're talking about. But why? Why is this prayer unite us, a dangerous prayer? Why is it life-altering? Why is it a risky prayer? Three reasons. First of all, it calls for confession that we don't want to admit. You know, introspection is difficult. It's hard for us to be objective. We tend to miss our own sins. We omit our own contribution to adverse situations. We'd like to think we are more unifying than we are. The fact is that we are more guilty than we know 
of breaking down unity at times because of our opinions, our perspectives, our convictions, even, even our spirit toward those who offer to us a different perspective or a different insight. We are so quick to just cut people off because they might have a different way of seeing things. This is also a dangerous prayer because it calls for a death that we don't want to die. The unity that Christ had with the Father and Son is rooted in their very nature. For Christ not to come to the earth to die for our sins would to be violate the very core, the core heart of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who together shared the same, the same weightiness when they saw a world broken and in trouble. We are called to live by such a model. We lay down our lives for the greater good of reflecting the nature of God himself. Third, this is a dangerous prayer because it calls for choices we don't want to make. Unity is not only about refraining from, from forcing our opinions on somebody else. It's also about receiving people healthfully and in a good spirit who are different from us who share a different opinion than we do. It's refusing to be separated from brothers and sisters who see things differently. We don't, we don't love based on opinions. We love one another because we have been so loved by the Father when we were far from him because of our sin and our ugliness and our rebellion. So let me first say, really, what's, what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity or saneness. Now, some organizations or gatherings need uniformity. That's why we have uniforms. That's why our host today, uh, those who have, have met you, have T-shirts on that look alike because uh, a person who's not accustomed to being here will know this person would be able to help me. You know, our military, they share uniforms. That's important for the military. The teams to share a uniform is important. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not good when there, there are churches that operate that everybody needs to operate in uniformity, appearing the same, being the same. I even heard of a, a church in Texas that when a man became a Christian, they had a barbershop in the church to give them a Christian haircut. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. Unity is not unification or human effort. There have always been man-made efforts to bring together all the various different religions of the world. For instance, the Baha'i Temple in Chicago, like other Baha'i temples, have nine doors by which a person can enter. Eight of those doors represent the major religions of the world. The ninth door is sort of a do-it-yourself religion door. Or no matter what you believe, you're still welcome to come in. It's sort of an effort just to, to force everybody into just being spiritual and therefore safe and okay. And that won't fly. The same naive message is communicated with that bumper sticker that says, coexist. Represented in the crescent, is, is the crescent of Islam the peace symbol for pacifism, the symbol for sexual rights, the star of David for Judaism, the Wiccan or witchcraft symbol of the pentagram, and finally the cross of Christianity. Ironically, those who claim, claim rights 
to that particular uh, piece of art, they ended up going to court because there were all people stealing the image. They were fighting against one another to claim, to claim that it was really their work. It took years for it to be settled, and it took millions of dollars in a settlement. Jesus prayed for unity in the church. I, I think he meant the global church, but the global church can never know unity if the local church doesn't know unity. Ours is to maintain such unity. I said maintain, not attain. It is not ours to attain unity. We don't create unity. We maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit creates. Such unity is rooted in the strength of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, we're living in this present danger. The church has always been at risk. Nearly everything even about this pandemic works against the very core of unity because, uh, because unity requires community. We love to be together in worship. We haven't been able to for all these months. And we know that while we're thankful for technology and what we can enjoy online, it's just not the same. We value being together. God's people have always valued being together. You've experienced that even in a concert. You might enjoy a, a certain artist, but the thrill of being live with other people who also love that artist does something, and you think about that concert. It kind of it shapes you for a while, and you, you continue experiencing it. That's what happens to us when we gather together. In this present crisis, I have to keep my distance from you. I have to wear a hazmat suit if I want to embrace you. If I shake your hand, I got to go sterilize myself right away. I mean, everything about this pandemic is so harsh for those of us who want to be united. So I, I want to say, don't, don't, don't confuse the fact that we can be distant Watching online is good enough for, for what God calls us to know. Real unity can only be enjoyed in community. And you've experienced that. Those of you, uh, all of us who've had, had Zoom meetings, there was, I'm thankful for Zoom. I'm glad we could meet. I'm glad we could see each other. I'm glad we could hear each other. But it's not the same. It didn't take long be before we grew weary of it. Didn't we? Why? Because it was a two-dimensional meeting. It wasn't a three-dimensional. There are nuances in communication that can't be shared on Zoom. There are certain expressions that we miss. There's body language that we miss. It's not the same as being in, in person. And so, as great as it, is, as it is, God did not simply just send us the Bible. Now, we just got done with a month celebrating God's word, and we're thankful, we're thankful. But that wasn't enough for God himself. He didn't send the Bible just for instructions to live, but instead, God came down to be with us, to be in 3D form, to to walk with us, to share with us. And it's only through his being fully present that we could enjoy full salvation. In the same way, 
It is being fully present in honest, dear, genuine community with our brothers and sisters that we make our way toward unity with one another based upon the unity of God himself. See, it's not enough, friends. It's not enough just to simply show up at the church building. You can't just show up at their church building and say, yeah, I'm all about unity. No, because if you're not in community with other believers, honest, open community, where we push back toward one another, where we learn from other, from others who differ from us, from others who are like-minded. I mean, it, it takes all of us together to build that kind of unity. You have to have that. And if you think you've walked into the building and that's the day you're looking for, if, if, if all, as long as I get in that building, boy, we're going to be good. That is not true. We can still be 2,000 independent people coming to a building and sitting and leaving and never know community. If we've never known community, if we've never, if, if that's all it is and there's no community, then that's not that doesn't take us to real unity. You see, all that I'm talking about is rooted in the Godhead. So here, for instance, I have this tripod, and it's used as a tabletop tripod to display something. It's not a quadrupod. It doesn't have four legs. If it had four legs, I could somehow set it so that it wouldn't topple. I could get by. But it doesn't have four. It has three and if one is taken away, it, it just cannot function. And so who we are as the body of Christ is, is rooted in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Honest, com, honest unity flows from community, a community that has been modeled for us. So this is how we maintain unity, these three things. First of all, a common experience. Now, there are different levels of community. Weaker community can be created by common interests like music genre or a hobby or a sport or some kind of interest. Stronger community comes out of deep, abiding, soul-shaping convictions. It's a belief system. That's where the strongest community comes from. Uh, it, it's experiencing that together. For instance, if you've ever, if you, if, if you go through, for instance, war together, some of, some of you have, there is a kind of brotherhood that emerges because of the common experience of war. If you've gone through a flood together, if you've gone to a tragedy together, there's a different kind of bond that develops because of that. Those of us who have traveled on mission trips experiences, we go to a different culture where they don't speak our language, their culture is odd to us. Uh, their worship looks different from us. Nevertheless, there's this immediate bond that is developed. Why? Because of Christ. There is something greater that brings us together. We share this common redemption story. It's not simply about what has happened to us, but it was what is continually happening to us as a result of living and walking with Christ every day. That's why we need community for today. Uh, we also maintain unity, unity by a complementary goal. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus made an extraordinary statement in John 14, 12. He said, very truly I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, how is that possible? Jesus said, you're going to do greater works than me. What? You must be joking. You mean we're going to do miracles? What would be greater than doing miracles? Well, that's not what what he's talking about. What are these greater things? What he's saying is, while I'm with you, I'm limited to my locale, wherever I am, to do the work of God. Now, when I, and when I leave you, God's going to send his spirit. My father's going to send his spirit, and he's going to indwell you. Not only that, but Ephesians 4 tells us that when Jesus ascended to the father, what did he do? He gave good gifts to his people. He shared his very strengths with us. He has dispersed them according to his grace in the body of Christ. That's why we best glorify the God when we are unified together and we we become focused on his purpose to worship the Father, obey the Father, to live in spirit and truth, to use these gifts in a united way that people may be brought to a saving understand of Jesus, understanding of Jesus Christ. You see, I fear too often that we have operated with our gifts like a Frankenstein. And Frank, what happened to Frankenstein? Well, all these body parts were just merged together. And what, what developed out of that was a monster. And we can end up being monstrous and just thinking that our gifts, so I'll feel better, are, are for, so I'll feel better about myself. Or my gifts are just somehow so I have a job to do in the church. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's bigger than that. We have, Jesus has shared his very, his very self with us. His, his, who he is in ministry. That only together, functioning well, do we best exhibit the fullness of his glory The third way we maintain unity is by communication. Communication that is loving and truthful. See, our love for one another must be remarkable. It has to get to the point where our love is so strong that nothing, nothing is threatened. Nothing is threatened when we confess our sins to one another. Nothing is confessed when we when we forgive or we seek forgiveness, when we've wronged or been wronged, when we dare to push back on, a, on a, a certain opinion or view that we think is contrary to the beauty of the body of Christ. You see, this, this all rises, all this maintaining of beauty is rooted in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've always resided in complete unity. And, all, and oneness of purpose, in essence, and being. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what God wants for us. He wants a unity. It's not uniformity. It, it, it is not somehow a, 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 forced, a forced kind of existence together. It's not, it's not a unification No, it is a dear oneness, a reflection of the beauty of God. You know, when the temple was built, God commanded the people who were building the temple to do it off-site. 
Those massive stones were chiseled and hammered in the quarry away from the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. And after they were made ready, they were brought to the temple site and they were fit together. You never heard a noise at the temple site. And when that temple was completed, it was radiant. It was glorious. And what resulted was a marvelous testimony to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, you and I comprise the temple of God. We are a community reflecting the glory of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Satan would love to interrupt us. He would love to take any of these things of our culture and and divide us, to break us down, to be naysayers toward one another, to be condescending toward one one another, to be obnoxious in our social media communications. He loves it when we do that. And what if we allow that happen, we end up with this cacophony filled with all kinds of discord. No, oh no, we must not let that happen. This temple, God's temple, God's church, is to be united together in a community of faith where we deeply are ingrained in one another for the glory of God. That's the temple that God is building. Satan must not succeed. Because of that, this is a dangerous prayer that we must never stop praying. Oh God, unite us. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of the body of Christ. And right now, as we hold these emblems, I pray they are simply not taken in an independent fashion. But as we receive them, Father, we are are remembering that we are part of one another because we are all under the head, Jesus Christ. And so may we endeavor, Father, to be the community of faith you called us to be. And by receiving these emblems, Father, we are announcing the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, the Savior, of the grandness of the Father in his plan of redemption, and the power of the Spirit within us that takes us always to greater things. Please, hear our words of praise, our confessions of our need for you, as we spend these few moments together, thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.